Hey, my name is James. Uh, I'm one of the leaders, I'm, uh, one of the pastors at this gathering. It's really great to have you here today. And certainly, uh, thank you so much uh, for all of you who are here in person. Um, a couple of you, it was like literally within like three minutes of that first email going out for sign up, like you were in, like you were like the first on the list, you're really gung-ho and passionate. And so I love to see that you, half of you beat me to signing up. So, uh, so I was really encouraged by that. Uh, really thankful for that, and uh, my hope is that uh, this is just this is just the start um, of us uh, taking steps to to get back. Um, we are are certainly committed uh, to to worshiping together in in a, in a safe and, and socially aware, let's say it that way, uh, way, and we're doing that. And so uh, maybe you can see that at home, but you know there's stickers all on these seats, and there's hand sanitizer when you come in, and there's masks. The only thing we don't have is like we don't spray you down. All right, when you come in. Not yet. All right, maybe that's coming in the future. I don't know. All right, whatever the government is requiring us to do, we've been doing. Um, and, uh, and I'm really hopeful, again, that this is just the, the beginning, that over the next season, uh, we'll be able to see more and more um, of, of, our, of our families be able to come as well, and children, and just we're slowly uh, moving in that direction. Um, and, and hopefully, in the very, very near future, we'll all be back here together. Uh, since the first time in, what was it, the second or third week of February. It's been that long since we've all been in, together in this space. So hopefully that time is, is coming soon. Uh, well, again, it's really great to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to invite you now, if, uh, if, you, if you have your Bible with you, uh, to, to, to bring that out. Open up your smart device. Uh, turn with me to the book of First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. We're continuing our sermon series, uh, working through this amazing letter of First Peter. Uh, we know that this letter uh, was written by the Apostle Peter, a friend and a disciple uh, of Jesus, to a group of first century Christians who were, who were struggling. They're facing trials and hardships. They were being persecuted for their faith. And Peter writes to them, and also to us, to encourage us to stand firm in the faith. He wants to help followers of of Jesus know how to live in a world that is not our real home. That as exiles, sojourners here, Peter wants to anchor us in Jesus Christ. He wants to anchor us in the gospel. You might say it this way that Jesus want I'm sorry, Peter, that Peter wants us to know the real Jesus. Peter wants us to know the real Jesus. Not just a Jesus of our own making and liking, but Peter wants us to know the Jesus as he is in the scriptures. Because if we're able to see him, if we're able to see Jesus for who he is and put our trust there, we will stand firm. We will stand firm regardless of what we face. See, in our, in our day and age, uh, there is a lot of what I'll say, um, I'll call it uh, designer Christianity. Okay, let's use that term. Designer Christianity out there. Where people, people sort of uh, tend to fashion Jesus into their own image, into their own liking, into their own making. And because of that, there's all sorts of pictures of Jesus in our world, right? Even within the church, there's different emphasis and pictures on how we see Jesus, right? 
There's like the, uh, the good friend Jesus. Like for a while, I remember when I was growing up, there was t-shirts like Jesus is my homeboy, right? Like he's cool. He's like, he's my homeboy. He's my buddy. He's my pal. Like the good friend Jesus. Um, there's the social reformer Jesus, right? That's becoming more and more popular with this next generation coming up. Social change, social reform. That's who Jesus is. We emphasize that. Um, there's the wise, sagely Jesus. Kind of picture him with, he's all in white, glowing, sitting up on a mountain, right? And just giving you really good advice for your life. Um, there's the life coach Jesus, right? There's the, um, I want to give you a good life Jesus, um, or there's just a, Jesus was a good moral man, Jesus, which you see in other religions that will teach, like Mormonism or even Islam. He's just a moral man, a teacher, prophet. Right? We have all sorts of Jesuses around us. Lots of opinions about Jesus. And so the supreme question facing us all is, who is the real Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he a projection of your own desires and your own agenda? Is he someone who you look to only when you have a problem or only when you have a need? Or maybe you're here today or maybe you're here watching online and you're just simply indifferent to Jesus. Maybe you've actually decided to reject Jesus all together. You know, um, being here in, in Korea, this is my seventh year here. Um, and in, in that time, especially early on, the first two or three years, um, I worked with a lot of younger Koreans, um, in and around a lot of younger Koreans. And I heard this, this story a lot of, of rejection Jesus, rejecting Jesus. Uh, maybe it's because of the culture here, all the pressure. Um, or maybe it's something that they've been taught in the church or that the church just looks too much like the culture. But many here, many here, especially, again, this next generation coming up, many here would say that they've rejected Jesus. But you know what I've, I've found? Actually, so many here, and I think this is true across our whole world, so many people haven't actually rejected the real Jesus. They've actually only rejected their own idea of Jesus or who the culture says Jesus is. And so today we're going to clarify this. Because what we're going to see from Peter is Peter tell us who the real Jesus is according to the scriptures, according to the gospel. And then in that, Peter's going to show us who we are in light of who Jesus is. And I believe that when we see this, it will change how we understand this life, how we understand and see God, and how we see ourselves. When you and I, when we see and come to know the real Jesus, it changes everything. And that makes it worth studying and worth knowing. And so let's read our passage together this morning. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 4. I'll read the whole passage for us. It's through verse 8. This is what Peter writes to us. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, 
You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and then he quotes Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. here. He says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, then he quotes Psalm 118.22. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Then he quotes Isaiah again, 8, this time 14, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Amen. Let's jump right into this text here this morning. What we see Peter doing here, uh, right in the beginning, I believe, is highlighting the identity of Jesus. You see there, uh, Peter calls Jesus in verse 4, he calls him a stone. And then in verse 6 and verse 7, he calls Jesus a cornerstone. And all of these uh, references are meant to point to the same reality, that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. So let's talk about that for for just a minute. We know that the image of of a stone or or a cornerstone is used three different times, three different times in the Old Testament. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, references each of those instances in this one passage here. He quotes them all. And what what is a cornerstone? What's a cornerstone? You know, it's, it's kind of hard for us today because um, we don't really use cornerstones anymore in our modern-day architecture. But for thousands and thousands of years, the cornerstone was the most important stone in any given structure. We also know that, that the placement of the cornerstone, where it was placed, determined the placement of the building or the structure that was being built. Its trajectory determined the trajectory of the entire structure. Or let's say, the reality of the cornerstone, its reality, determined the reality of the rest of the building. It was the first stone that was set into place. But not only that, what's also true is that the cornerstone was always the biggest stone. Because it had the responsibility of bearing the the primary weight of the building. In other words, it was the stone that all of the other smaller stones depended on. The structural integrity of the building, it depended on the cornerstone. And for that reason, we also know that the cornerstone was the strongest stone. And it had to be because it carried so much weight. It couldn't fall apart. They couldn't risk it cracking or crumbling because if it did, the entire structure would be compromised. The cornerstone was was vital. It had to be strong. And then what we also know is true is that the cornerstone was also 
as close as it could get. But the requirement, the standard, was that it was a perfect stone. It was perfectly cut and crafted. And again, it had to be. There could be no flaws in it. Otherwise, again, the integrity of the entire building was at stake. The building couldn't last. It couldn't stand the test of time if there was even just one flaw. So it's easy for us to understand, and anybody listening to this in the first century, why the cornerstone was so valuable, so important, chosen carefully, precious, which is exactly what Peter says in verse 4 about Jesus, the cornerstone. He's chosen precious. And don't miss this because this is profound. Peter's saying here, Jesus, Jesus is not just a cornerstone, but Jesus is the cornerstone of what God is doing in this world. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us as well in Ephesians 2.20, where he writes, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. So what we have here from Peter is a very powerful metaphor to say something even more powerful about Jesus' identity. Because you see, whether we realize it or not, whether you see this today or not, Jesus is foundational to our realities and our lives as the cornerstone of the world, of life. Peter says that Jesus was rejected by men. And we know what that means. He's referring to the time where the Jews put him to death, hung him on the cross. But even though that is true, he reminds us quickly, but God set him apart, chose him, and saw him as the most precious one of all. That's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. So let Let's not, you and I, let's not dismiss him. Let's not ignore him. Let's not reject him, even for a minute. Let's see him as the creator of all things, who sustains the power of the universe with his hand, with his word. Let's see him as the mediator who reconciles sinners like you and I back to God. Let's see him as the savior who conquers our greatest enemies, sin, Satan, and death. Let's see him as the king of kings who is sovereignly directing all of history according to his will. See, Jesus is not one to be ignored. He's not one to be dismissed. He is the great and good shepherd who hears our prayers, heals our wounds, and covers our shame. He's the prince of peace who removes all of the hostility that exists between us and God due to our sin. He's the Lamb of God who took the weight, who bore, carries the weight of our guilt and shame. He carried it on the cross. He's our hope, our advocate, the one who promises, promises us a glorious forever future. He's strong. He's the mighty God, the very fountain and source of truth, who never lets us down, who's always there. He's so precious. He's our precious treasure, our firm foundation. He's perfect, perfect, flawless, dependable, 
And there is grace, joy, love, and life in his name. Amen? Or, or you could just say, as Peter says here, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. That's a really profound, wonderful name for Jesus. That's the real Jesus. Because of his existence, because of his reality, we have a reality. His reality shapes our reality. And Peter adds this beautifully in verse 6. He says, and whoever, all that is true, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Church family, there is a cornerstone that never fails. And you and I, all of us, we build our lives. All of us are building our lives on someone or something. So the question is, what is it? Or who is it? What is the foundation of your life? What's the primary chosen cornerstone of your life? What do you set your life upon? And if you don't know, you need to take the time to ponder, what do I, what do I think most about? What do I find myself talking the most about? What do I dream about? What do I worry about the most? Where do you look and say, point and say, that's where hope is found for me. If I just have that, if I just get that, I'll have hope. Where is that today? We all have a cornerstone. We're all builders. You know, even in this season, right, 2020 has been so crazy, so chaotic, so unpredictable. But, you know, through this season, this has been good for us, I think, as followers of Jesus. See, like, what are you resting on? Where's your security found? How have you been handling this season? Because I think the, the reason that our lives can often feel so shaky, so fragile, is because our lives are actually built, whether we know it or not, on things that are shaky and fragile. Counterfeit foundations. Counterfeit cornerstones. See, we all, we all, we need a better cornerstone. We need the cornerstone. Because nothing else, nothing, not your career, not your school, not your relationships, not your family, money, hobbies, or your health, none of those things are meant to hold the weight of your life. And they can't. They can't. And yet, while that is true, while that's true, the mistake that so many of us make is spending our lives seeking to build our lives on those counterfeit cornerstones. And one of them crumbles and falls and fails us. We just move to build the next one over and over and over again, just wasting our lives. 
But Peter's words here save save us, actually, from a wasted life now and forever. He says here, nothing in the created universe, nothing in God's created order can carry the weight of your life. Only Jesus, the cornerstone. Well, moving on, notice here that Peter not only calls Jesus the cornerstone, he also calls him a living stone in verse 4. He also calls him a living stone in verse 4. And that's really important, so significant. And, And I think, especially those of us who are followers of Christ, right, those of us who belong to Jesus, we know why Peter calls Jesus this. We know why. But if not, it's simple. It's because Jesus is alive. Because he's alive. It's because on the first Easter morning, Jesus rose from the grave. And how does Peter know that? How does he know that? How does he know that Jesus is the living stone, right? Because when we think about stones, we don't think of a living thing, right? But he calls Jesus intentionally a living stone. How does he know that Jesus is the living stone? Because he saw him. Peter saw him. Peter saw that Jesus was killed, was buried, and then alive again. Remember, he runs to the tomb. It's empty. He was a personal eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. Let's talk about that that briefly. Let's talk really briefly about the resurrection. I know it's not Easter Sunday, but we're going to talk about the resurrection. Right? Because so many people, right, we know this, so many people in our world dismiss the resurrection as ancient nonsense, right? As something that a group of just like radical people sort of made up because they wanted to, I don't know, get fame or create this new religion. But here is what nearly everyone agrees with, nearly everyone agrees with. And I, can, I can't say that all the time, but I can say that here, Okay. I spent a good time of my studies doing apologetics. That was my emphasis, studying this issue. So I can tell you, even people who are respected in the field, secular scholars, historians who don't follow, don't believe in Christianity, nearly all of them, unless they're a little bit off, okay, agree with this. There was a man named Jesus. People followed him. He was publicly executed, crucified, And he was buried. But not only that, the tomb that Jesus was laid in, it was guarded by Roman soldiers. And a few days after after his burial, it was discovered empty. Almost everybody agrees with that. What they also agree to is that we know that the disciples had experiences, let's call it that. They had experiences in which they believed that they were literally seeing the risen Jesus, Jesus alive, Jesus in the flesh. And one of those appearances was to a crowd of at least 500 people. We also know that this group of disciples who claimed to see the resurrected Jesus, they were transformed. No one debates this either. They were transformed from being cowards to bold proclaimers of the message that Jesus had risen from the dead. These group of individuals went from abandoning Jesus on the night of his arrest 
in his time of greatest need, they left him. To after claiming to see Jesus alive, they went from being that cowards to martyrs. Actually being killed for their belief in a resurrected, saving Jesus. We also know that the mass, that mass, mass, thousands, thousands upon thousands of Jewish people, devoted Jewish people, began to worship Jesus as God very shortly after the message went out that Jesus was the the risen Messiah that they were waiting for. And just so we're all clear, believing that Jesus was God, if he wasn't God, was blasphemous, idolatrous, and worthy of death according to the Jewish religious teachings. But many followed. Many believed. One of those, his name was Saul, one of the greatest Pharisees of that day, but at the same time, one of the most, if not the most, violent persecutors of the church. He was an enemy of the church, but he, one of them, he was one of them, who became a follower of Jesus after he claimed to see the risen Jesus. Or how about James? Deal with this one. James, the brother of Jesus, during Jesus' ministry, he was telling people that his brother Jesus was crazy. That guy is out of his mind. That's my brother. What do you mean he's the son of God? He's the son of man. He's out of his mind. He actually goes one time to grab Jesus and to bring him home. You need to come home, Jesus. What are you doing? What are you telling people? That same James totally changed his life after he claimed to see the risen Jesus. And later, that brother would die for his teaching that his brother was the son of God. He was stoned to death. A giant stone crushed, rolled on his head. And think about this. I'm giving you all these arrows, arguments for your friends who deny the resurrection. Okay, here's another one. Think about this. I think this is just practical. What was there to gain for these men and women to teach and believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus was Savior and Lord, that he was God? What was there for them to gain? There was no money. There's no power to be gained by lying. They got no glory. Their message was, we're nothing, we're empty. (laughs) All they did when they believed, if they believed, was received hate, persecution, and again, many of them died for teaching and believing this. Actually, if you look at Acts, you study church history, you see that these followers, these believers, they experienced the opposite of material gain. What was their benefit? Because they know what happened, what was the requirement when you came into the the body, when you came into the church, what did they do? Right in the beginning of Acts 2, they sold everything. They gave away everything to anyone who had a need. That's the message. What is there to gain? Come follow Jesus. Be a, here's what you get. You get to be a servant. You get to be a slave to Christ. Yay. And you get to sell everything that you have. Your life is no longer your own. The message is carry your cross. That's the message. That's the gain. 
These people who saw Jesus, Peter being one of them, totally changed their lives. And so how do we explain all of this change? I would strongly say and suggest the only realistic and plausible explanation is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And that's what Peter says here. Jesus is alive. He is the living stone. And because Jesus is alive, that changes everything. It means that he is God. It means that his words are true, that his forgiveness and love are real, that hope found in him is real, and that the life that he offers us is real. This is why Peter calls Jesus the living cornerstone. That's the real Jesus. So do you know him today? Do you know him? And are you building your life on him? Let's keep going. Peter continues, and he tells us here that by faith, we are inserted as living stones. That as we go to him, we are being built up as a spiritual house. That's what he says there in verse 4 and 5. Let's see that again. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Look here. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, the building or or house that Peter is referring to here is God's temple. But not the physical temple, okay, in Jerusalem, that existed in Jerusalem, that was built up, torn down, built up, torn down. Not that, but a spiritual one. That's why he calls it a spiritual house. And this house is a spiritual temple of God's corporate people. And as his people, what Peter's telling us here is that we are, like Christ, we too are living stones being built upon the living cornerstone. This is true of anyone who goes to Christ. That's why he begins verse 4 that way, as you come to him. He's saying that as you go to Jesus, you experience then union with him. He's the living stone. You inherit that, let's call it living stoneness, okay? You become one with him. And because he is alive, because he is the living stone, we live. We get life. This is true of anyone who chooses to go to Jesus. We are joined with him and with each other as living stones. But not only do we become living stones through faith in him, we also become, he says, a holy priesthood. Look again at verse 5. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, Then he says, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's so much I want to say about this. So much. I actually almost divided this sermon up twice because of this verse, right? But I was like, 
these people are going to leave if I keep preaching one verse at a time, okay, through the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be here until 2025, okay? So I kept going, all right? There's so much to say here, but I have so little time. But I'll at least say this. I'll at least say this. We know in the Old Testament system, God was unavailable. People couldn't go near him. Uh, he, he was too holy, too set apart, too pure. And we we're just too sinful. We cannot get into his presence. God is unavailable to us, to them. Actually, the only time, it was a single day, the only time, the only day that you could go near God was once a year on a day, a holiday known as Yom Kippur. Okay? It's the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest of Israel, he could go into the temple, only him, and he could get access to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. He'd go into that presence and offer sacrifice and prayers and, and different things. But even for him on that day, it was a risk. They would actually uh, have to tie a rope around his ankle with bells on it, very long. And the other people, the priests, would stand in the, outside the Holy of Holies and listen to the jingling of the bells. And if the, they could hear the jingling, he's alive. If the jingling stopped, God struck him dead because he did something wrong. Okay, it was that, imagine, right? It's kind of like, I don't know, Indiana Jones, you know, like when he goes up to the, what is it, the first one? I don't know, Last Crusade or something like that. Remember, he exchanges the rocks, you know, he's going up to it. It's kind of that, right? You're very cautious, right? Very, very careful how you enter into the presence of God. But that day, that day a year, you could get in. That is, that was the case okay, until, until Jesus. Because through Jesus, through his death, the perfect and, and final sacrifice was made. So that we know, it says in scripture, that the temple veil that separated God from men and women, that temple veil was torn. And that means that for those who have faith in Jesus, we, we now have complete and total access to God. In other words, all that means, we are a holy priesthood. We have access to God through Christ. We have access all the time, constant access, based on our union with Jesus. And like priests, like priests, who were chosen by God, who belonged to a certain family, and who were prepared for a lifetime of devotion to God, anointed for his service, we too. Peter tells us, chosen by God, now a part of God's new family, and have been prepared and anointed for service through the work of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And why were we made to be not just living stones, but a holy priesthood. Why, Peter says, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, which simply means we give our lives 
we give the totality of ourselves to the Lord. The Apostle Paul would say, right, you give your totality, offer yourself, your body as a living sacrifice acceptable to the Lord. It means that we go out into the world to make God look as good as he is and to glorify his name. It means that everything that we do, we do it for him. We do it for his name. We do it for his kingdom. This is what God is doing. And Peter says, this is what God is building. He's putting together a people for his purposes. He's creating a spiritual house. He's building a spiritual house of redeemed people, tribes, tongues, nations, and languages. And so if you believe in Jesus, if you trust him, you get to be an integral part of that plan. You get to be, you get the privilege actually of being a living stone, cemented, think about it that way, the illustration, cemented together with the rest of God's people for God's purposes and his glory set upon the cornerstone that doesn't fail. That's who you are. That's who you are. It doesn't mean that your life won't be filled with trials and hardships. Right? We will fail in many ways. But listen, in Jesus, we are not defined by any of those things. We are not defined by our sin. We are not defined by our struggle. Our identity, first and foremost, in what God says is true of us. And God says, when we go to Jesus, as we go to him, we are part, we become a part of his forever family, We are living stones, a holy priesthood being built together as part of his ultimate purpose, his grand purpose. And so let me encourage you today, don't don't sit on the sidelines. Don't be dismissive, even about your involvement here with God's people. Right? There's a, I don't know, a year or so ago, two years ago, someone can tell me, at Yongsan Station, an Ace Hardware opened up over there. Right? People are really excited about it. Like, I can go build my own things right, in Korea. It's great. Right? Or in America, you might be familiar with like a Home Depot. If you go in, I'm not that familiar with it. Okay? I couldn't put a hammer to a nail if my life depended on me. Right? And that's ironic because my dad owned a construction company for like 20 years. All right? I did a good job sitting in the truck and drinking lemonade. All right? But... I was like three, give me a break, but, okay. But they tell me, if you go to one of those stores, just imagine, right, you go in one of those stores and you saw like a pile of, pile of bricks. They sell bricks there, they have to, right, or something. Wood, I don't know. Just imagine you go in there. There's bricks in there, right? You go in there and you see like a pile of bricks over set off in the corner, when you see that, you wouldn't say, wow, oh, okay, those, those stones, those bricks, they are fulfilling their purpose. Awesome for those bricks in Home Depot in the corner, all piled up together. You wouldn't think that. You'd wonder, someone with a bigger vision than me would think, oh, what can those become? What, what's that going to look like when they're fashioned together, right? This whole building is made of brick on the outside. 
At one point, they were just a pile of bricks, but then they were fashioned together, hopefully on a firm foundation. Okay, we hope. Okay. But, but think about your life that way as well. Don't be a stone sitting on the sidelines. That's not who you are, not what you're created to be. It's not your purpose. You're created to be a living stone cemented together with the rest of us living stones for his plan, for his purposes, to make disciples of the nations, disciples who make disciples for our joy, for his glory. And then we'll wrap up today here. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7, and we'll go into verse 8. But this is where we're going to wrap up with this point. Peter says, So the honor is for you who believe. So what is he saying there? Pretty simple. It's an honor. Don't take this for granted. It's an honor to belong to Jesus as a living stone. It's an honor to participate in God's global purposes. It's an honor to be saved. It's a privilege to be forgiven by God. It's a privilege to treasure the Lord It's a privilege to be kept by God, to know that he always hears our prayers, to have full access to the throne. It's a privilege to know that you and I belong to God and will be with God forever. And of course, we know here that word belief, that word believe, it's not just an intellectual assent. It's not that you've arrived to Right, the right knowledge, a certain level of knowledge. That's not what it means there to believe. Believe here, it's a total life entrustment. That's what Peter's saying. To believe means that Jesus is precious to you. He's precious to you. That he's your all in all. That he's the one, the one that you just can't get enough of. It means that you love Jesus and desire to know more and more and more and more about him. It means shifting, shifting from building your life on counterfeit cornerstones to building your life on the living cornerstone. It's an honor to know Jesus. But there's also an important warning here. It's a warning against stumbling. It's the rest of verse 7 and 8. Peter contrasts here the honor of believing in Jesus with rejecting Jesus. He says this, but for those who do not believe, it's an honor for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Simply stated, (laughs) it's possible It's possible to to believe Jesus as the cornerstone. It's also possible to treat Jesus as an unwanted cornerstone. It's possible to reject him, to pass by him, to pass over him. And again, that's what the religious people of Jesus' day did, right? They actually murdered him. But he became the cornerstone anyway. And so Peter says here, it's basically a warning, don't do what they did. Don't reject him. Don't ignore him. 
don't pass over, don't pass by the living cornerstone. Because when you do, it's like building your life on a false foundation. It'll never work. It'll always fall apart. And beyond, and, and beyond that, the consequences for passing him by and rejecting him, the consequences for doing so are devastating. It actually results in, in judgment and, and shame. That cornerstone to the one person becomes a stone of devastation and stumbling for the other. And then he adds in verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. To stumble over Jesus is simply, again, it's to reject him or to refuse to give your life to him. And so what Peter is ultimately saying here is that our response, our response to Jesus as the cornerstone actually determines our relationship with God and our eternal destiny with him. And it's interesting uh, because Peter said something very similar in the book of Acts. The same Peter. There was a time he, he stood before the religious leaders right after the resurrection of Jesus. It's Acts chapter 4. This is what he says in verse 11 through 12. He says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter says there's no other name. Jesus is not a cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. And that means that Jesus is the key He's the foundational piece to every single person's destiny. Faith in him leads to honor. Disbelief, unbelief leads to disaster. So understand, understand very, very clearly here. Peter eliminates any foggy middle ground for us. What's at stake here is crystal clear. What you and I build our lives upon matters. So who or what are you building your life on today? Are you building on counterfeit cornerstones? Or are you building on the living cornerstone? Will you go on stumbling over Jesus Or will you surrender your life to him? Will you trust him? Literally every stone, every stone within a given structure depends on the cornerstone. Its reality determined their reality. If the cornerstone was strong, the structure would be strong. If the stone was straight, the structure would be straight. If the stone was secure, the structure would be secure. So today, do you want a foundation 
a cornerstone for your life that will never fail you, that's strong, secure, perfect, and true, that cornerstone has a name. And he's alive. His name is Jesus. Every other counterfeit cornerstone, no matter how attractive or seemingly strong, will let you down, will fail you. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, next year, several years down the road, but eventually the cracks will reveal themselves and you and your life will crumble. But if Jesus is your cornerstone, if he's your cornerstone, the promise from the scriptures is that you'll make it through. You're gonna make it. Sure, you're gonna face, again, Peter says, you'll face trials and troubles. Your world and your life may even be violently shaken, but you will never fall. If Jesus is your cornerstone, you are safe with him. You are secure in him as living stones. So be encouraged today, church. Take heart as you sojourn through this life. Let's pray.